as we sit here today in 2023 here in the United States, there are still some very fundamental questions about the application of the federal securities and other laws to crypto and to blockchain technologies that we still don't have answers to. It's one of the reasons why shortly after I came to Coinbase, one of the very first questions I asked was, what are the rules that the SEC and other federal regulators are considering to provide clarity to this? It was a somewhat naive, an uninformed question considering all that happened afterwards. And when I came to learn that there were no rules and no particularly serious efforts underway to explain to market participants what a security meant in the context of digital assets, how could investors and consumers be adequately protected if they chose to acquire these assets? fundamental topics that you would expect would at least be under discussion at the time, I quickly resolved, along with many of my colleagues here at Coinbase, that we needed to be a bit more proactive and, dare I say, even aggressive in pushing for rules that we could all understand. Welcome to Tech Intersect. I'm your host, Tanya Evans, and my life and work exist at the heart of law, business, and technology. Yeah, I've earned a few fancy titles and degrees over the years, but the bottom line is I'm a writer, speaker, teacher, and lifelong learner. And I'm really excited that you've joined me on this journey. So what is Tech Intersect? Well, it's authentic, empowering conversations with really interesting guests who demystify complex topics to prepare you for the future because your future is now and it exists where law, business, and tech intersect. Get ready to listen, learn, and leverage. Let's get started. Hey folks, this is Professor Tanya M. Evans here, your Tech Intersect host with the most. And you may have heard from last episode, I am off on an annual family trip in the beautiful island of St. Martin to relax, to relate, to release, and to prepare for the second half of this year. Time is flying by. It's not the half yet. It's not the halfway point yet, so don't rush, (laughs) because I certainly don't want to rush through this moment of relaxation, reflection, rejuvenation, and reconnection. So I've worked with my producer to share some of the best spotlight episodes, beginning with a very timely one, my recent conversation with Paul Graywall, Chief Legal Officer of Coinbase. And during that conversation, we discussed the first time that we met, which was March 9th, as we both were invited to testify at the first hearing of the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Digital Assets, Financial Technology, and Inclusion. And the title of the hearing was Coincidence or Coordinated, the Administration's Attack on the Digital Asset Ecosystem. And I invited him on to the show to continue the conversation about what seems to be a coordinated attack on the crypto asset industry. The week that his episode aired, Coinbase had actually received a Wells notice from the Securities and Exchange Commission. And that Wells notice generally signals the SEC's intention to pursue an enforcement action. Well, in fact, this week, the SEC moved full steam ahead with enforcement actions against Coinbase and also another popular multinational centralized exchange, Binance. The SEC charged Coinbase specifically with 
allegedly operating its crypto asset trading platform as an unregistered national securities exchange broker and clearing agency, and also for failing to register in the SEC's opinion to offer and sell crypto asset staking as a service through its own program. Coindesk.com reported in a June 6th 2023 article that the SEC alleges that Coinbase intertwines the traditional services of an exchange, a broker, and a clearing agency without having registered any of those functions with the commission as required by law. And through these unregistered services, alleges the SEC, Coinbase allegedly provides a marketplace and brings together the orders for securities of multiple buyers and sellers using established non-discretionary methods under which such orders interact. That's a mouthful (laughs) to unpack because all of it is automated. I think that's what they're getting to. Engages in the business of affecting securities transactions for the accounts of Coinbase customers and provides facilities for comparison of data respecting the terms of settlement of crypto asset securities transactions serves as an intermediary in settling transactions in crypto asset securities by Coinbase customers and acts as a securities depository. So those are all of the allegations. Now, CEO Brian Armstrong unsurprisingly clapped back with a well-organized media blitz. Hats off to Coinbase for staying ready so they didn't have to get ready. And part of that media blitz included a tweet that says, Regarding the SEC complaint against us today, we're proud to represent the industry in court to finally get some clarity around crypto rules. Remember, number one, and uh, Paul and I talk about the point that Brian makes in this tweet. Number one, the SEC reviewed our business, allowed us to become a public company in 2021. Two, there is no path to, quote, come in and register, end quote. Brian says they tried repeatedly so that they didn't list securities. And he says, we reject the vast majority of assets we review. They have their own internal process and review in order to determine based on the Howey test as interpreted by their legal department, what constitutes a security and the dividing line between security and uh, commodity. And four, this is why, says Brian Armstrong, this is why the U.S. Congress is introducing new legislation to fix the situation. And the rest of the world is moving to put clear rules in place to support this technology. So I'll drop a link in the show notes, both to the SEC's press release and also to Brian Armstrong's tweet as well as a link to my testimony that I submitted, my written testimony. You can also see the full hearing online as well at my website, proftanyaevans.com, or of course at the um, House Financial Services Committee website. But in some, and then we'll get into the spotlight episode, Paul makes all of the points that I just mentioned and more in our conversation. And he expounds from his perspective as chief legal officer for Coinbase. And so now I, after you listen or as you listen, let me know what you think. Is the SEC chair overplaying his hand? Is the administration's approach a coordinated attack to kill crypto? 
is the writing on the wall for another pivotal and essential moment in updating the very nature of money and global value exchange that doesn't rely on a particular government. So these are the questions that need answers, this and more. This is clearly a transformative moment, this concept that came really before Bitcoin, which was the first cryptographically secured digital asset. There were other types of digital assets before, but in January of 2009, that was a game-changing moment. And we're starting to see the fruition of that customer service issue that government-issued currency has with the idea of global currencies that allow money without borders and rules without rulers. The fact that money and value exchange is not government-dependent. So that is the question. This is the episode to begin to unpack that. And I invite you to ping me on social media. Let me know what you think. Use the hashtag Tech Intersect. All right. A couple of reminders and then we hop into the episode. My new book, Digital Money Demystified, is available for pre-order and will be on the shelves and in your ears and on your Kindles or other ebook readers October 24th, but you can get it early now. Early orders, those pre-orders are incredibly important to support, certainly not only me, but voices like mine, because we need more voices like mine, just keeping it simple, shooting straight, demystifying digital money so that you can make good choices and not rely on FOMO or FUD, which is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. All right. And that's what wealth building in the new digital economy really needs. Patience, prudence, persistence, expert advice, no more carnival barkers, no more gambling. You really want to avoid and deserve to avoid the short-term gamble mindset and really prepare for the long-term change and gains that are not just the future, but now. Of course, getting there shouldn't feel like you need more time than you have to give, more money than you have to invest in an advanced dual degree in finance and technology to go from curious to confident in the crypto economy. And that's why I'm so excited to share this book with you and also the opportunity to get started even before the book comes out and really fast track your process to financial freedom at powerupyourportfolio.com. This is a quick action opportunity. It's safe. It's simple. It's the solution that you've been looking for to accelerate your arrival to a crypto breakthrough, particularly in a bear market, to prepare for the next bull run, unlock your return on investment potential, and to activate your financial progress through informed action. So head on over to powerupyourportfolio.com. That's powerupyourportfolio.com and get instant access to three video sessions, video replay of the Q&A, a workbook, resource bank, and my private inner circle community that's powered by Mighty Networks to be supported and empowered to learn while you earn. As I said, the future of money is now. You want to stay on the leading edge. So enjoy this Spotlight episode of Tech Intersect with Coinbase Chief Legal Officer Paul Graywall. And also be sure to visit powerupyourportfolio.com to get the cheat code on the future of money and wealth today. All right. Make sure you're good to yourself and others and enjoy. 
In this episode of Tech Intersect, I am really, really excited to welcome Paul Graywall to the show. Paul is the chief legal officer of Coinbase, where he's responsible for Coinbase's legal compliance, global intelligence, risk management, and government relations groups. Before joining Coinbase, Paul was vice president and deputy general counsel at Facebook. And prior to Facebook, he also served as United States magistrate judge for the Northern District of California, which I find wildly fascinating previous partner, major law firm, and also a law clerk. I served in the Third Circuit. So I see your storied history and, and I, I see your both traditional and non-traditional path. I look forward to hearing a little bit about your path as we get started. One final thing, listeners, before we jump in, Paul and I met on March 9th of this year, where we connected at the first hearing of the House Financial Services Subcommittee on Digital Assets, Financial Technology and Inclusion. The hearing was titled Coincidence or Coordinated, the Administration's Attack on Digital Asset Ecosystem, and invited him on to continue the conversation about what seems to be, in my humble opinion, I'm speaking not for him, but for myself, a coordinated attack on the crypto asset industry. And just this week, Coinbase received a Wells notice. And for those of you who don't know what that is, Paul is going to help us unpack it. But essentially, Wells notice from the Securities and Exchange Commission that generally signals the SEC's intention to pursue an enforcement action. I wanted to unpack all of this with someone who has boots on the ground. And that is certainly Paul. So take a deep breath. <laughs> it seems to be a lot. Our, our hearing was so like, two weeks ago. We'll talk about all of that and more in a moment. But first, Paul, welcome. Well, Professor Evans, Tanya, thank you for having me. You're right. Our friendship began in a somewhat unusual setting, right? Ordinarily, uh, first acquaintances aren't, aren't made at a table sitting in the very <laughs> august uh, chambers of the House Financial Services Committee. But uh, I think we're off to a very good start. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are compadres for sure. Before we dive into the meat of all that is going on in the crypto asset ecosystem at large, and particularly some of the initiatives at Coinbase, given that you are front and center of this wrangling with the SEC, I was very interested and remain interested in just your whole background that brought you to this space because I imagine it's all of the things that led up to this moment that lead you to actually enjoying your job as well. So, so talk us through that. Well, I do enjoy my job very much. In fact, I'm, I'm privileged and blessed to be able to do what I do on a daily basis here at Coinbase. You're right, Tanya, my path to Coinbase and my path to crypto is not a typical one, as you alluded to in your very kind and generous introduction. I began my career practicing law something like 25 years ago. In a fairly typical way, like you, I served as a law clerk in the federal courts, in my case, not just once, but twice. And after that, was in private practice in the Silicon Valley, where I still live and where I work. And my work throughout that period is really focused on presenting in court and for judges and juries, very complicated technologies, ideally in terms that they could not only understand, but engage with. And so over the course of that experience, I certainly became enamored with how law can impact technology, and not just in an academic sense or in a jurisdictional sense, but how real people looking for real solutions to real problems can be affected by the decisions that are made in our court system every day. In fact, I got so interested in that broader topic that in 2010, when I was extended the opportunity and honor of serving as the United States Magistrate Judge, 
I felt compelled to take it. Public service has always been very important to me. And one of the virtues of my particular appointment was that, was that I was able to serve in the federal district court for Silicon Valley, the Northern District of California, which has an outsized number or percentage of really interesting and influential technology disputes on its docket. And so whether it was the patent wars between Apple and Samsung or Oracle and Google fighting over who was responsible for developing the original code for Java and distributed computing more generally on the internet, I found myself in the middle of some pretty interesting fights, raising some pretty fundamental questions. One of the very interesting questions that came to me in that experience that ultimately would play a significant part in my overall career was something I didn't even fully appreciate at the time, which was something like in 2012 or 2011, maybe, I was sitting in my chambers one day reviewing applications for search warrants as a magistrate judge in the federal courts often often does. And I came across an application from a warrant from one of the federal investigating agencies for something called Bitcoin. The agent was looking to seize or search for Bitcoin in connection with an investigation. And my job in that setting was to establish whether or not there was probable cause for that warrant to issue. But in order to do that, of course, I had to first understand what the warrant was for and what this Bitcoin thing was about. And from there began the journey that would ultimately take me to Coinbase in 2020 and to the role that I play today. That's really fascinating. People always ask me, how does someone like you get into a field like this? And I had, a, it's related in some sense. I remember I was at a different law school at the time and, and we were doing our annual search for perspectives to come and teach. And so in preparation for that, it's reading through all of their law review articles or their works in progress. And there was a gentleman, I'm an IP lawyer by training as well, not on the patent side, although my mother is a patent attorney. Oh, um, I'm on the copyright and trademark side. And I just remember this, this was in 2017. So there was a lot of discussion around, it was like the ICO boom and bust. It was some reticence around crypto, reticence 1.0. And it was that conversation of Bitcoin, of blockchain, not Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I remember his paper was focused on some of the potential copyright and patent issues with respect to open source software, which was wildly fascinating and interesting to me. And I didn't know about this magic internet money, but I was very, very fascinated by the method of managing, protecting, securing data and also layer one solutions and, and the necessary interoperability there. But what happens when you start to monetize on top of it? Right. And those were really fascinating questions I didn't have a lot of answers to, but that was kind of my rabbit hole moment. And I quickly realized while I was in the rabbit hole that I couldn't have a full appreciation for this decentralized method of organizing transactional data without understanding the first use case of that technology. And the rest, as they say, is history. So I hear a bit of that, uh, very much that in your own story and progress here. It's remarkable the things that we encounter almost randomly in our careers ultimately turn out to have a huge influence on what we choose to do with our professional lives, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's definitely, I feel like I'm in the second act as a woman of a certain age. And so this has really breathed new life into what I intended to do. That leads me to the question of now that we know what you love about it, some of the more challenging aspects, which you may also love as well, but certainly the challenging aspects of knowing and believing so strongly in this technology and what your company offers and to come head to head with regulators who in some sense understand, but may have, and I'll let you explain from your perspective, 
ulterior motives when it comes to what I perceive to be a rather aggressive stance against good players in the space. So talk to us about that challenging part of your job. Well, there's no question, Tanya, that crypto is facing many challenges right now, and Coinbase is at the center of almost all of them. Personally, professionally, I feel fortunate indeed, again, privileged and blessed to to be able to help lead our company's fights on, on so many of these different fronts. The fact of the matter is that as we sit here today in 2023 here in the United States, there are still some very fundamental questions about the application of the federal securities and other laws to crypto and to blockchain technologies that we still don't have answers to. It's one of the reasons why shortly after I came to Coinbase, one of the very first questions I asked was, what are the rules that the SEC and other federal regulators are considering to provide clarity to this? It was a somewhat naive, uninformed question considering all that happened afterwards. And when I came to learn that there were no rules and no particularly serious efforts underway to explain to market participants what a security meant in the context of digital assets, how could investors and consumers be adequately protected if they chose to acquire these assets. Fundamental topics that you would expect would at least be under discussion at the time. I quickly resolved, along with many of my colleagues here at Coinbase, that we needed to be a bit more proactive and, dare I say, even aggressive in pushing for rules that we could all understand, certainly abide by once enacted, but that reflected thoughtful consideration of so much that we're all supposed to be focused on. And so in July of last year, Coinbase filed a petition for rulemaking with the SEC, which for the lawyers or those legally inclined among your audience, they will certainly appreciate, is a very formal request that the commission enact rules to address some of these questions. We laid out, Tanya, in that petition, something like 50 or more questions that we believe needed to be addressed in any set of rules that would make sense to keep investors and consumers safe while promoting innovation. And unfortunately, in response to that very detailed petition, which of course we shared with the public, we received no response. Hmm. Not just once, but twice since then, we have filed comments to our own petition addressing very specific topics that were initially raised. What do issuer disclosures have to look like, for example? And more recently, in fact, earlier this week, why most staking products and certainly Coinbase's staking products do not qualify under the federal securities laws. Again, though, no response from the commission to any of those efforts to uh, generate reasonable rules other than to receive what, what you alluded to in your introductory remarks, a Wells notice telling us that we were likely to face litigation in short order. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Hi, I'm Dr. Tanya M. Evans, author of Digital Money Demystified. And I want 
want to let you know that to stay on the leading edge of any opportunity, especially investing, you have to empower yourself with the tools and resources needed to keep your knowledge and skills current. And if you're relying on last year's information or even last month's, look, you're already behind. Sure, you can try to figure this out on your own at YouTube University. The problem is it's difficult to separate fact from fiction with so many carnival barkers banking on your inexperience. And of course, there are the naysayers, usually from legacy finance, banking on your fear while they quietly help their high net worth clients to invest. All of it muddies the waters when all you want to know is how to get in safely, legally, and competently so you're not left behind. That's why I wrote Digital Money Demystified, where I take the top 10 crypto myths head on and give you well-researched, well-supported facts to empower you to make good choices out there in the new digital cash economy. As a law professor who developed the first blockchain crypto and law online certificate program, a retail and corporate crypto policy and education trainer, and a thought leader appearing regularly on national media, I've done the heavy lifting so you don't have to. Look, there are plenty of books and courses on which crypto assets to invest in. Digital Money Demystified is the book you read before you dive into those. So head to digitalmoneydemystified.com to learn more and prepare for the future of money and wealth today. I'm just, you know, I've, I've continued to shake my head about this and it's incredibly frustrating even outside looking in. So I can only imagine because of the work that I know that you and other excellent actors in the space who want the best for the space, who don't want scammers and imposters and, and, no. and people who are defrauding investors and consumers, because that's bad for the ecosystem. That's bad for the bottom line. Yes. <laughs> and it's just, it doesn't serve any of us well. And even though there's a great diversity within the space of various parties, we are all, for the most part, aligned on this one idea. Bad actors out, good yes. actors in. This was the yeah. whole point of the Satoshi White Paper. This is the reason that Bitcoin, and I guess it's progeny, but Bitcoin, and I'm a big ETH person as well, because in the spirit of disclosure, I'm the former chair of the Maker Foundation, the Maker Ecosystem Growth Foundation, responsible for the full decentralization of the Maker DAO. So these are the reasons of having decentralized alternatives to value exchange. So that, as my, I understand it, is your point. I'm particularly dismayed by the argument that staking services are in some way connected to securities. Could you explain a bit more about your point of view, which I believe we're aligned on in that respect? Yeah, well, again, many of your audience, but perhaps not all of your audience will appreciate what staking is, which at its most fundamental core is a way of securing a network and securing that network, not by some central intermediary establishing who or who should not be deemed valid or what transactions are or are not legitimate, but by all of the participants or as many that was to be a part of the securing of the network coming together in, 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 in a way that allows individual participation to secure that network by offering their assets as part of that process. Now, the reason why staking products like Coinbase's don't qualify as securities is actually pretty simple. 
Unlike some other staking services that have been the subject of SEC enforcement actions recently, Coinbase service doesn't ever involve a customer or an individual transferring ownership of their coin or their token Mm. to Coinbase or to anybody else in the staking process. Ownership always remains with the customer. Title never passes. It never becomes title in the name of Coinbase or anybody else. And so in this way, we are providing a technology service that allows customers an easier way to stake their coins on their terms. It's not as if, for example, as a result of this process, customers for the first time are able to participate in the staking process. People can stake on their own, and in fact, often do. We are simply giving them tools and services that allow them to achieve that. Another reason why our products and services don't qualify, don't meet the definition of, of a federal security or a state security, is that in that process, the customer always understands that the reward calculated by the network, which is basically math, is the reward they're going to get minus a flat commission that we publish in our help center. And so there's never a a situation where Coinbase can exercise its discretion and on its own decide whether or not the customer gets the reward that the network has deemed they are entitled to. We are essentially an administrator of this process and allow for that reward to pass, again, minus our disclosed commission Mm -hmm. in a way that customers can have confidence in. So these are just a handful of examples Uh, There are many others as to why our products and services aren't securities. But to the extent there's been any confusion about this, Tanya, we've tried to be very public in explaining all this. As I mentioned earlier, we filed a comment just earlier this week laying out detailed arguments that make these basic points that I've just shared with you. And even beyond that comment that was filed with the SEC, we have been very public in sharing our views as to why these products simply don't fall within the SEC's jurisdiction. Now, here's the thing. The SEC has been aware of staking and indeed Coinbase's staking efforts for years. And the reason why I know that is that in April of 2021, which is almost two years ago now, we referenced staking in our S1 registration, which of course we had to submit to the SEC before we were permitted to go public. 57 times, I went back and I counted, something like 57 times we talk about staking. And yet despite that operation in plain sight, and we have nothing to hide. And of course, the S1 process invites comments and questions and and investigations. Coinbase was ultimately permitted to list as a public company. All of that tells me that the substance of these arguments may not be what's motivating the SEC's position when it comes to staking. There may be something else in play. I always want to assume good intent, but I don't know what other conclusion to draw when we've been operating in plain sight for this period of time and eager to have a conversation that unfortunately the commission hasn't been willing to give. I was on the Bird app, I guess it was yesterday or the day before, having this little debate with folks. And I was like, I don't really have a dog in the fight, but if we're, I don't work for Coinbase, but if we're going to be honest, this information was in the S1. And I understand the purpose of the S1 is not to evaluate staking, but my larger point was that it was available. It was information. There were no flags at that time. So my point to the person I was arguing, I don't know, I don't want to overstate it, but kind of arguing with on Twitter was what has changed since then? Right. What has changed since then? And your thoughts? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) I'll I'll be very direct about that. I mean, look, Sometimes people like to nitpick around the language about what an S-1 registration actually means. And of course, it is accurate. The SEC, in reviewing an application for a company to list, 
looks at the accuracy of the disclosures. They don't bless any particular business, and we've never claimed that. But what is also clear is that over and over again, we have been operating in plain sight and making clear to anyone, including the SEC, who cares to know that we offer these services, they operate in this fashion. And yet for years now, we have seen silence from the SEC on this particular issue. We disclosed that they served the subpoena, but you know that was several months ago, many months ago now, and really no particularly in, in, in a significant action has taken place on that. Here's the other thing about the S-1 process I'll just speak to since you brought it up. The SEC does, in fact, look at the merits of businesses from time to time in evaluating the accuracy of the disclosures that are made. And in fact, in the crypto space, we have seen other companies that have sought to register and list be precluded from that because of concerns about the legality or the legitimacy of their products and services. So it's important for everyone just to have a clear picture of what's been going on. And it's unfortunate that instead of adopting or promulgating sensible rules. As a professor, you know, uh, we are a nation of laws and Congress has set out laws that lay out a very clear procedure for administrative agencies to follow. In this instance, the SEC has simply chosen to rely upon an enforcement campaign uh, exclusively. We think that's a big mistake. Yeah, I, I mentioned that in my written testimony and to some extent my oral testimony as well. And I know that you had that in your written testimony and for those who aren't aware, because I also teach, fun fact, administrative law. So this really hits at the heart of... Now, so now you've much. got my attention, Professor. <laughs> <laughs> I had him at administrative law. So my synapses are always firing. And that's why I was so interested in really looking underneath the hood of what the mandate for the SEC from its organic act. Like, I understand the extreme and broad deference. I understand the reason for deference. And by that, folks, I mean, what agencies are able to do, they are empowered through the delegation of power from Congress so that they can take the lawmaking function of Congress and actually, on a day-to-day -day basis, actually implement that. So you have the framework, you have the policy, and then you have the executive branch that goes forth to basically run this operation, right? And some administrative agencies form the cabinet, some are independent, some are led by one person, some by a commission, etc. I welcome you all to take my administrative law class and we can wig out. But with that, understanding the power to adjudicate one or a few regulated party members or and not, it shouldn't be or, but you have this idea of rulemakings as well, where those rules will actually apply to the regulated industry, not just one-off. So people aren't left to read the tea leaves. And so the frustration I have and what I hear in some of the things that have been said, using enforcement, the adjudication procedure without the requisite rulemakings, guidance, some other way so people know the rules of the road is detrimental, it's counterproductive, and it may be arbitrary. We will soon find out. So uh, your thoughts? I think you're right about that, Tanya. You know, the fundamental claim against any exchange that is accused of operating in violation of the federal securities laws is that it is operating without registry or without a registration. And in the case of cryptocurrency exchanges like Coinbase, that naturally begs the question, well, how can exchanges register? And what is the path to registration that the commission offers? In, in the case of exchanges like Coinbase, the reality is there is no such path. And even though the, the chair and others have suggested, for example, that 
It's simply a matter of going to the website and downloading a form. We all know that it is a far more complex, thoughtful, intense process than simply that. The current options for registration that all focus on whether the exchange could meet the qualifications for a national securities exchange have some fundamentally important gaps when it comes to cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies that make it impossible for Mm -hmm. any exchange to comply with that requirement. For example, with blockchain technologies, you have a number of, of intermediaries that have been eliminated because blockchains can settle instantly. There's no concept of clearing or settlement in the sense of more traditional asset classes. And that's a good thing because with those intermediaries no longer required, the process becomes more efficient. Efficiency means that the process ultimately becomes faster, cheaper, and more effective for investors and consumers. And so we should be encouraging technologies that can eliminate a lot of middlemen and intermediate parties that drive up the cost of the system for all of us. We think there's a way to address that so that the traditional structures required for registrations could be adapted to crypto. And that's exactly the kind of conversation we've tried to have with the SEC over the last many months. In fact, over 30 individual meetings and another 30 or more engagements with them, we've tried to explain why these adaptations make sense, not just for our sake, but for investors' sake. I'll give you another example. In order for there to be a functioning exchange once registered, you need to have something to list on the exchange, right? It's no good to open up a store with nothing <laughs> not on the a shelf. Good, right, not a, not not a, a good not exchange. Not a very good, good business plan. Well, when it comes to issuers and the disclosures we require of issuers, blockchain presents some unique challenges. Now, there are also some unique opportunities. For example, so much blockchain activity is public and available that it doesn't make sense to repeat or rehash those disclosures in the, in the traditional right. forms of issue requirements. And so we think there's a way to adapt those rules in a way that could make sense and would allow exchanges like Coinbase to offer those digital assets, which are securities. But right now we can't do that. So it is a bit disappointing and even frustrating that we're going to have to turn to the courts to resolve all these issues when the fact of the matter is the courts, by their very nature and by their very design, are backwards looking, right. They're not forward But it it seems that this commission anyway is insistent that that that's the course that we're all going to have to go down. Right. And the final point on that is that is the same issue with regulation by enforcement and adjudication, which is retrospective. And yet it's being retroactively applied when, in my humble opinion, there wasn't a sufficient amount of clarity to understand. And and that's the, where are we going from here? What the rulemakers right. would prospectively say, these are the rules of engagement. That's right. And to underscore your point, Tanya, about how unclear things are, you don't have to take my word for it. You can look to recent testimony in Congress that confirms this point. What I'm referring to is, of course, remarkable testimony from the chair of the CFTC just a few weeks ago when appearing before the Senate Banking Committee, in which he declared without qualification that in his view, ETH, Ethereum, was a commodity, not a security. Now, why is that remarkable? Well, at the very same time as the CFTC chair is making that claim, the SEC chair is saying, well, no, ETH really very much could be, and in fact, might be a security. And so if the chair of the two most important federal regulators can't agree on this very fundamental concept of whether ETH is or is not a security, what are other market participants, and importantly, maybe most importantly, individual American investors and consumers to do when trying to understand how to stay on the right side of the law? 
we can do better than this. Absolutely. Thank you for that point. I think that's helping a lot of people to think through this. Final question is just how can people who now consumers, investors join the the call for greater clarity so it's a better ecosystem and participation opportunity for all? Well, I appreciate that. Just recently, Coinbase launched something that we're very excited about, which is something we refer to as Crypto 435. You can learn more about how individuals, regular people, not necessarily lawyers or industry executives, but just people who have a concern and an interest in broadening the financial system and making it work for them can get involved. And so we named it Crypto 435 because, of course, there are 435 congressional districts in this country. And we think through these efforts, the voices of normal, regular Americans can be heard and included in this conversation. Of course, that was the whole point of crypto in the first place. One of the things that got me excited after I read that search warrant application now over a decade ago, when I was given this opportunity to come to Coinbase, was to play some small part in fixing some very broken elements of our financial system. 80% of Americans feel like our current system is stacked against them and stacked in favor of incumbents. And something like two thirds of them, roughly, believe that the system needs a major upgrade. Crypto can help do that, but can only do that if it has sensible rules and reasonable rules. Excellent. I have a very active listenership and I will drop the link in the show notes as well. Fantastic. I've already signed up. So <laughs> we will um, continue to get the word out. This is really important. And we are watching a really important inflection point a really important kind of a seismic shift, not even kind of. And that makes existing power structures extremely nervous. And we are feeling the effects of that, some of the cracks even in the existing system, which is the very reason for, as I said earlier, alternative means of the exchange of value. Paul Graywall, I appreciate you so much. I'm so glad that we're connected, connected in this journey. And this will be the first, but this is not the last. You are now an official member of the Tech Intersect family. So thank you. Thank you so much, Tanya. Thank you for your strong voice on these very, very important issues. Thank you so much for listening to the Tech Intersect podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love it, please tell the world. If not, go ahead and tell me. And in either case, drop a comment or ping me on social media at IPProfEvans with the hashtag Tech Intersect. And finally, a quick reminder on digital safety. There are a lot of scammers out there impersonating me and others, and I need your help. Now hear this, and remember, I will never slide into your DMs to say peace and blessings or hey, and I will never reach out to solicit your time or your money on social media like ever. I'm not a trader. I am an educator and an attorney licensed in four states. Thank you very much. I'm here to inform, inspire, and empower. No cap and definitely no Forex. So be careful, make good choices. And remember, I developed an entire free masterclass about the topic of digital safety in the crypto space. So check out secureyourcryptobag.com for more information. That's secureyourcryptobag.com. All right, that's all for this episode. Until next time, continue to shine.